0: Hi, this is Joe Shannon. I'm a lawyer, a husband, a father of six kids, and I also uh, host a podcast called Opening Statement with Joe Shannon. Please consider listening to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple, and any other folks that host podcasts. Just Google Joe Shannon and podcast and you'll find it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Today we're speaking with Anthony Johnson, a lawyer and marketing guru out of Little Rock, Arkansas. How are you doing today, Anthony?
1: Doing well, doing well. A little gloomy and rainy out, but uh, can't complain.
0: That's oh, so um, Little Rock gets a little rain, does it?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, I've, my, I've lived here for, man, 20 years now, and I've always said, like, we have, like, one great day of weather in Little Rocky here, and the rest of it, you know, it's terrible. It's either hot or humid. <laughs> but then when you're when you're forced to stay at home, I was like, we have a lot of beautiful weather. You know, like, it's been really nice over the spring. I guess I'm just working nonstop, so I don't notice it. Um, That's great. It's pretty incredible.
0: So uh, just as a, a way of introduction to, to folks who are listening um, – Anthony is uh, a real interesting cat. I, I, uh, I've always liked talking to him. He, uh, uh, he's a lawyer, but he's also a, a fellow that's on the cutting edge of uh, internet marketing and um, figuring out ways to better serve clients and to make sure that they're, they're put in the right hands and is just got a really full life for a 37-year-old uh, young man. Um, why don't you tell the, the viewers a little bit about your upbringing, Anthony? About my
1: upbringing? <clears throat> yeah, I was a, I was a military brat, so I was I was born in Korea, uh, had a little stint in Texas, Japan, um, spent a summer abroad in Europe, uh, but so kind of all over the world, and, you know, just came from a normal kind of blue-collar family. My dad was enlisted in Army. My mom was an immigrant. She kind of didn't speak very good English, and so she worked at, like, cafeterias or daycares and stuff like that um so you know just just kind of normal uh normal military brat kind of upbringing
0: so where'd you go to grade school and high school
1: what state grade school I was in Japan uh until sixth grade and then in seventh grade is when I came to Arkansas so it was right when uh it was right when Forrest Gump was coming out I remember when my dad was he was getting his uh, location for where he was getting stationed next after being six years in Japan and and I was like, oh, come on, California, Florida, you know, something like that. And I heard Arkansas. I was like, oh, it's like Forrest Gump. <laughs> I was like, that's where I'm going. Anyways, it was, it was disheartening. But, you know, it's a great state. It's good. It's nice. A lot of nature. Um, it's good for me because I'm very distractible when it comes to entertainment and fun. I get FOMO pretty bad. And so, it's not much to miss out on. So, it's good to concentrate and get some uh, rest time. So, tell us a little bit about, um, I mean, you're kind of an uber successful guy. You got a
0: great, you know, you got a great family. It's a, uh, you know, great job. Um, tell me uh, what it was like, you know, junior high and high school. Did, were you like number one in your class? Were you like the, 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 the jock? What were who were you? Who were you in high
1: school? Yeah, I'm kind of a perceiver. I was a little. <laughs> I was. Uh, I think I was second in my class. I think I ended up tying a girl, and they. uh, they didn't really like me much because I skipped a lot. I was a good – I I've realized that now that I was very uh, anti-establishment. So, I would try to be the best at school while not doing it properly. So, I'd skip class. I would not do homework. But I still was competitive, so I'd want to win. So, I'd go okay. and ace the tests and do, do that kind of stuff. Um, but I also was, you know, was quarterback in high school, played baseball, soccer, track, everything else. So, I uh, was also on the chess team, quiz bowl team, all-state so I did uh I did about everything so you were the quarterback of the, the football team but also on the chess team mm-hmm.
0: yeah not many <laughs> not many guys doing that stuff yeah that's yeah. great so then so you're in high school so what do you credit credit that that competitiveness to was
1: it was your your mom your dad your grandparents what do you think yeah our whole, our whole family has got that is real competitive family um I don't know maybe it was. maybe it was because I was moving around when I was younger a lot and so to make friends I would always play sports and you know so just kind of the to me inherent with relationships and friendships were kind of that compet- competition you know landscape and so um, either that or I was also like kind of the smallest guy when I was younger too so I was my dad is 6'5 I'm 6'2 so I'm like the I'm the shortest guy in my dad and my family at 6'2 and so um, and I was like 4'11 until, I think it was 8th grade. And then in between 8th and ninth grade, I shot up 11 inches. And so all the Ooh. way up until then, I was the smallest kid ever. And so I always had something to prove.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so uh, is, is sports still a, a part of your life?
1: Yeah. I played recreational sports a long time. Now Now just, you know, kind of every once in a while, I just don't have really like time for it. But uh, I probably played soccer up until a couple of years ago. Um, but now I don't, don't really play that much except for just fun with the family.
0: Yeah, is it, so right now is, is your competitive landscape your business?
1: Yeah, I kind of compete in everything. Like it can be like throwing a piece of garbage in the trash can, you know, <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't right. really matter day to day. I think it's just in my core nature, but but no, I definitely approach business that way. I mean, um, it's kind of funny, the more I kind of read about you know big companies and guys that led companies before, um they all think about like being the best or like you know they talk about i want to be the best and whatever but it's like what are the rules like how do you actually be the best at right. lawyering you know or whatever it is there's not really a best but it's that mindset is still pretty prevalent it's pretty sure what
0: what were some of your first jobs that you had uh as a kid um
1: either in japan or or when you, when you got stateside so it's funny uh my first job was a paperboy i don't know if you've heard morgan's uh Morgan's analogy about paper boys but uh I
0: was one too buddy
1: 150 papers yeah he talks about you're either you know paper boy or is kind of the guys that that wanted it that that personality and so I was like taking a step further my first job was actually another guy's paper out and I wasn't old enough to get it yet and so I actually like subcontracted from him and I would go (laughs) do his paper out and charge him for it so I was always a little early achiever. But then ironically, all through high school, I had probably 20 different jobs and I'm pretty sure I was fired from every one of them. <laughs> and mostly it's because I either showed up late or I wanted to do things in a different way and like they just, they didn't appreciate it at all. <laughs> yeah. so, so we'd get into it and then I'd get fired. So So not a real to- rule
0: follower, huh, Anthony? No, not really. <laughs>
1: so um, do you think that's, that's a good trait for an entrepreneur? I think so. I like the analogy, um, I was reading a book, they call, it, they call them heretics. And they said, there's, there's kind of the, uh, the, people associate that with kind of these uh, rebels or things, you know, or whatever. But, but I do think even within a company, an entrepreneur or within like the team members you have, having this slight notion of irreverence for, you know, how it is, uh, is necessary for you to innovate or, or to do something differently.
0: Right. Well, we haven't got there yet, but t- tell us, so, you, so you're, you're number two in your class. Who gets, to, who, who gets to be the college for Anthony Johnson?
1: So, you know, we, like I said, I was the first guy in my family to go to college. Uh, my dad was enlisted. Mom didn't make much money, so it wasn't like I had any money. So it was one of those things where my parents were like, you know, we saved like five grand for college, and you either get a scholarship or you're on your own. And so when I got out, I like I was in that Duke program and I got I think I got like 60% to Duke and then I got a full ride to University of Arkansas, which is a, you know, D1 school here. And then I got, I was going to get like paid like 20 or 30 grand to go to Little Rock. Which was kind of a crappier school. And so, you know, now, the, now that I know more about sales, is interesting. It's one of those ABC scenarios. Like I had this A that would have cost a lot, B that was the middle ground and everyone always picks B, you know, so I was like, uh, you know, I hate being part of the cookie cutter norm, but I, I went with B just because I couldn't afford to go to Duke. Um, short term, I probably had some regrets about not going to a bigger school once I understood like the alumni and kind of advantages you get there, but you know, it all works out, so.
0: Sure, and then law school, where'd you go? Uh,
1: so law school is funny. I was a computer engineer undergrad, and my last class, Like I told you before, you know, I was a little uh, anti-establishment. So I picked computer engineering because they said I only had to go to tests and I could pass. And so I was like, oh, sweet. So I got to school two times a semester and that's all I got to do. And they're like, yeah. And so I was like, okay, I like computers. My dad was, you know, a systems engineer for Cisco at that time. He got that job like my senior year of high school. Um, And so I I picked it because of that. And then it almost came back and bite me my last semester because I had this class. It was like virtual hardware dynamic circuits or some crap i was never going to use and i played guitar in dixon street and then i ended up getting drunk and missed my test (laughs) so i got F because it's two two grades you know and so i go in there and i told the guy i'm like listen this i'm a little hungover and my best excuse i have and it's uh you know i was like uh you know i'm not even going to be a uh, computer engineer i'm going to be a lawyer and so he goes hmm he goes show me your lsat and i'll give you a b minus i was like sweet so i like ran off took my lsat ran back. Um ended up you know, I'm good I've always been a good test taker, so I got like a ninety nine percentile in the LSAT. And then uh I thought about going to law school right away and I decided, nah, I'm not gonna be a lawyer. And then a couple of years in I was doing some money management. I had a series seven is kind of the track I ever went on. And right. uh, I thought it would be good to get a law degree before my LSAT ran out. And so I just applied here locally, a little, little law school in little Rock. went to night school, they gave me a full ride. So that's how I ended up being a lawyer. That's
0: great. And so yeah and, and um, so the, what, what was the, the when, when you were in college, you were, you were studying engineering, but you say you only had to go to school twice, twice, what did you do the rest I'm of the time? There,
1: yeah. um, you know, college experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I learned how to play guitar uh, from my roommate who was a jazz sax player, and he taught me how to play guitar with his sax. And so I ended up joining a band when I was like 18, and we probably played on Dixon Street four or five nights a week. So, and then I had my roommate, so my deal was I had a full-ride scholarship, I started playing guitar, so I started making enough money that I had my own apartment as well as the dorm. And so I made good friends with a guy that was a very straight-laced guy, I knew him kind of from governor school and high school, and I said, hey, all right, I will give you, I will room with you every year, and you will have your own room, I'll barely be there. And the only deal is, I got I get to take your schedule that I that I take. You know, I take the same schedule, and you tell me about the test and let me study with you. And so I would literally just not do anything. And he would he had his own room. I had my place off campus, and uh, he would call me the night before the test and be like, "Hey, we got a test tomorrow," and you know, whatever, database programming or object-based, object-oriented programming or something like that. And so I would come off Dixon Street and go study with him all night.
0: So. Um... <laughs> Did 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 Hacking you? My so you way
1: through, <laughs> yeah. through college? And
0: do you have the same experience in law school? Did you actually go to the, the classes in law school, or did you just go to the tests?
1: Yeah. So law school makes you go. You know, it's, <laughs> they they really big on attendance in law school, which I hated. And so I would sit in the back, and I would max out my absences because I had a I was trying to do a tech startup at the time, and all this other stuff, you know.
0: The hold on a second. Uh, what were you trying to do at the time?
1: I was trying to do so. At that time, I was in law school, going to night. I was doing money management in the daytime, and then I met a guy that was also in law school and a computer engineer, like a computer uh, science guy. And so we started building like web applications for companies. We ran like the governor's uh, systems administration for his campaign. Like we did just anything in the technology field as like a side company. And then together we decided we were going to try to raise money and build like a startup company. So we basically were trying to build a like an eBay for services at the time and. So we were working on that did that did that experience help you do what you're doing right now? Yeah, that was probably one of a hundred failed experiences that probably helped me <laughs> what i'm doing right now. you know that was it was interesting because yeah, it did help because we got into the money world, we got into talking to some of the uh, like how venture capital and how finance guys look at companies you know um, and realizing how hard it is to convince somebody to give you millions of dollars I mean that's <laughs> It's a lot harder than it sounds when you hear about. Especially,
0: holidays. especially when you're in Little Rock, Arkansas, right? Yeah, tech capital of the world. <laughs> well, is it your hope to, to make it a little bit of a tech capital?
1: <laughs> um, I think it's interesting. So I think the whole world is becoming less and less dependent on geographical yes. borders for anything, and so I think these these hubs and that used to be dependent on city centers like Austin and LA, I think they're they're kind of getting. Uh, disperse a little bit because of communities now happen online. You know, they're they're happen virtually. I mean, we can zoom. Everyone, you know, the the idea of a tribe and a, a movement and a community. I just think is going to be less dependent on location. So I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of more rural or grassroots type uh, companies and teams that do things. You know, um, you,
0: you mentioned Morgan and the pa- the paper route. Um, and entrepreneurs, and another uh, you know I, I, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs, and one of the things you just hit on was the, you know the the hundreds of failures that went with making a success and you know you think about Edison and you know what he did, and you know he basically thousands of failures and every failure he said got me closer to the actual solution so tell me about some of your successes what 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 actually worked after a number of failures?
1: Yeah, so successes. I would say the first money-making company was probably that that uh, IT company we had in law school. Well, no, first <laughs> but have, the first money-making company. I always forget about this. Was in college, I ran. I started seeing these girls wearing these designer jeans. You know, I didn't know what they were. You know, it's right when like citizens and true religions and all those were getting real. Real hot, and so they're asking girls, of course, just because you ask them anything in college, yeah. just to get them to talk to you. And so we were—they're were like, yeah, they're paying 150, 200 dollars for a pair of jeans. I was like, that's insane, you know. And so I ended up calling this boutique, and she told me who her supplier was. And I started getting up the chain. I found this guy in New York that said he bought last year's inventory because they—it was like uh, not on brand to continue to sell last seasons in like the department stores. So, he would buy the leftover inventory and he'd resell it for cheaper to like small boutiques. And so I started buying bulk jeans actually with my, my wife now. Uh, we were dating back then. Um, and she started doing Little Rock real successfully. And then we started selling jeans out of Tupperware where we would have these like trunk shows. And I would sell, I would buy them for like 50 bucks a pair, sell them for 100, 150 bucks a pair. Um, and my job was basically taking trunks to sorority houses and watching girls to try jeans. And then, <laughs> so then made money. we end up selling yeah we probably sold five six hundred thousand dollars in jeans last year we did it um, and I had probably twenty or thirty volunteers helping us do it so we got their payroll real low um, and then what happened was finally the the big brands decided to not um, to not do that anymore but they were just going to trash the old jeans and so it was one of those that was that was probably a critical. Uh, career path for, for me because it was one of those things where we make a lot of money finally like you know this last couple of years and then we're, our supply chain got cut off and the only option was like buy fake stuff from China or something like that and we just were like we just have we just decided to shut the whole thing down I mean it's just not worth you know losing your integrity or whatever by doing something like that so so that business went from successful to zero so it was, it was an interesting roller coaster um that we kind of fell into and then the real first real company, like I said, what well, like I was going to say at first was the law school. Um, we started that tech company where we did websites and we did custom application development back when that was needed a lot more. Um, and then we did some like IT and systems administration. so we, that was a profitable company. We have eight, eight employees at that time.
0: Did you sell selling that company?
1: So me and the other guy, the other guy actually had already started it. I kind of jumped on board, helped him get out of another partner. And it was one of those moments where I was either, we we're going to be 50-50 partners or I was about to get out of law school. And that was right when this tech idea, the startup idea that I had and that we were trying to work on together kind of failed because uh, Sears made one. It's kind of a long story, but, uh, but essentially they got funded and all the venture firms didn't want to match checkbooks with Sears for kind of the same idea. And they had the infrastructure with like their repair centers and stuff like that. So we gave up, which now I've realized we probably shouldn't have. That was a good lesson. But, uh, but anyways, it was at that point I graduated law school and I was like, you know, I've tried to be an entrepreneur and all these failed random, you know, moonshot type ideas. And I was like, you know, plus drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit going to law school, you know, you start appreciating like what it's for and what we do. And, and so that was kind of that moment where I was like, you know, I'm going to shut everything down, focus. Um, I've heard, I've, heard this analogy I think at the time that was talking about uh, hunters and, and opportunity and they're talking about, you know, that your job isn't necessarily for the deer to walk by, like this kind of chance, you know, it's, it's more, you got to sharpen your blade and, and, you know, practice how good of a shot you are. And that way when the opportunity does pass you, you can take advantage of it. And so that kind of resonated with me at the time. It's like, I haven't spent enough time sharpening my blade, you know, honing my skills, learning my craft to be able to see opportunity. So I was like, I'm going to just pick this. The legal industry seems right for disruption. Um, And so I'm going to just sharpen my blade and wait for a deer to come across.
0: So when you, when you got out of law school, did you go work for somebody or, or is that when you started your own firm?
1: No. So I got out, I think I was like, I was top five in my class. I don't remember law school. Um, But when I got out, it was 2010. So it was right after the housing crash. So literally, every, I mean, I clerked at every top firm in the state. Um, I think one person had a job offer, and it's because he was going to get an LLM, because there's was, was like a hiring freeze all across the country. Wow. And so every defense firm was shut down. And so it's, I mean, I'm kind of glad, because of course, I probably would have yeah. been happy with going to work for a defense firm and making 50, 60, 70 grand, whatever it is in Arkansas. Um, but I was kind of, I had already built the website for every personal injury lawyer in the state. And so I was like, well, I guess... I don't know what I'm going to do. So I just kind of hung my shingle. Google places just came out, stayed up all night, built a website. And like three days later, if you searched, I wanted to be a business lawyer. I thought that'd be interesting with my background in business, um, like business litigation maybe, or I yeah. wanted startup stuff, but there wasn't enough of an economy here. So, so if you Googled like business lawyer, Arkansas after that, it was like my firm <laughs> that I threw up two days ago and then every big firm in the state under me. And so I started getting a lot of calls and that was kind of my entryway into, into legal.
0: And so how 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 is that firm when it was just Anthony Johnson, first year lawyer to today, how's it transformed? Yeah, uh,
1: a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I was in a I was in like an eight by eight little executive suite, you know, with my own printer and a cell phone. So like my, my overhead was like three hundred dollars a month, you know. Uh more time than money for sure. And so it is interesting because you know, you learn a lot doing that though, because i you know, people talk about uh the value of getting into the dirt, you know, when it comes to the company, like, you know, I've, I've had to set up my own phone systems and my own facts and I've had to lick my own stamps and I've had to, you know, type every letter and go to like walk to the courthouse. So all the, all the little parts of doing the, the business of law I've had to personally do, I mean, answer every sales call, you know, I've, I probably did that for six years, you know, mm-hmm. um, just because I was, it was too important not to miss one. So um, definitely a good learning lesson. And then, you know, now we've got Ton of people and overhead and people doing everything. So it's very different.
0: So you have a hundred people working with you?
1: Well, we've got, we've got a call center, has about 70, 75 people um, out of Georgia that I've got a couple partners with. And then in the law firm and the marketing company, we have about 40 some now. So yeah, a little, a little over hundred.
0: And those folks are in Arkansas mainly?
1: Arkansas and Atlanta.
0: Well, that's great. And so um, what is your um, – what are, what are some habits that you have? I mean, I, listen, you're – what are you, 10 or 11 years out of law school? Um, yes, 10 years. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's guys that are getting out of law school this year. That, think about this. This coronavirus hit. That I don't even know if they're going to have graduations for these people. I don't even know if they're going to be able to take the bar. And they're listening to this, maybe, and they're, they're looking at you and saying, I want to be Anthony Johnson. Um, but they're scared. I mean, I, there's no – and it, I, I, don't, I can't anticipate there's going to be a ton of job offers right, uh, right there for, for folks. So they're kind of situated like you were 10 years ago when there was one job offer for your class. What are some of the habits that you have cultivated over the years to make you, uh, you know, a, a guy that can build a firm like that? or firms.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I always, I get asked questions a lot about what would I do or what do I recommend? Um, I definitely had a unique background when it came to engineering, knowing how to build websites, marketing, because that was, uh, that was the critical piece that kind of differentiated, you know, the unique selling proposition of our business compared to other law firms. Right. Um, and that was my angle of entry. And so what I typically tell people is that what I think I've always had intuitively and some people lack, and I think a lot of people in, in my time, like I said, it was a housing crisis. So every, nobody had jobs. A lot of people decided to do what I was doing and open their own shop, but they couldn't find clients. And so I think that's a great play. I think, you know, of course, working your ass off, you know, spending every moment trying to, you know, learn and, and failing forward, if you will, um, every failure, learning from it and trying to do better. Uh, I definitely made a lot of those um, kind of staying creative on, on cash flowing and, and, and that learning process, uh, effectively, but, but what I tell everyone that kind of applies, and I think what I've inherently done fairly well is that, one, you have to pick something you care about, because you're never going to work hard, if you're not passionate, if you don't care about it. And so whatever the angle is, has to be something you really see the future, you know, your future self doing. And then the second thing, and I think the thing that people miss the most is having just a radical sense of self-awareness. I mean it's you know, sure you can work bust your ass, you can do this, you can start doing firm, you can uh, hang your shingle, but if you don't know how to get a client, you don't have a network, you don't have uh, social skills, you don't have marketing skills, you don't have any money. I mean it, you, you can't do it I mean it, you know that's why all ten other guys that started law firms failed, you know at the same time I did out of my class um, yeah. so it, so it's it's hard to say specifically uh, that you can do the same thing, but I think it is just it's hard work, passion, and then self-awareness. I mean,
0: yeah, so you've obviously got resilience because you failed, you know, hundreds of times, you said. So where do you get that resilience from? Is that, do, do, you, do you have, are you tied in to, like, for example, your ancestors, where, where you're from, where you came from, that type of thing? I mean, for example, I, I'm one of 10 kids, okay? I grew up, uh, my, my dad is a social worker, made 18 grand a year we ran out of money halfway through the month and there was no 5,000 bucks when I was going to college. I mean, my, my parents basically, they didn't even ask where we we're going to college. Cause I mean, I guess it was up to us and we figured it out, but it seemed like all my, all my, you know, um, my siblings were like, right when they could get jobs, they got jobs and they just basically, you know, it was work or, or you're not going anywhere. Uh, how about, what's your story that way? I mean, I, I mean it doesn't sound like you guys were uncomfortable. I mean, you were, you were, you know, uh, uh, you know, a military brat. You had a, a mom that, that cared deeply about you. What, what, what drove you to to be able to say, listen, I, I don't want to be just comfortable or good or great. I want to go to the next level.
1: Yeah, it's funny because you know when you say that, I think it was pretty similar. Like you know, we, like I said, my dad was enlisted. So I mean, I don't, I don't even know what they make back then, twenty thousand or something like that. You know. And so, and then my mom was kind of just part-time. So I mean, we definitely weren't well off. I'm pretty sure my sister was in a trailer when I first started, but I just never really looked at it that way. You know, like maybe the last year of high school is when he retired from the military and then he got a job with Cisco and like started making decent money, uh, whatever that is. Um, but I never really saw that. So all growing up, I was like, I was kind of like you, like you said, uh, like I didn't know that five grand was even there. I imagine he saved it all in the last year, never told me about it. But um, I had the assumption that if I was going to do anything, I was on my own. And so, um I never looked at it that way. I never felt like we didn't have something. I never, you know, was left, you know, hungry. I guess per se, and you know, my parents always took care of us in that regard. But, but yeah, like I mean, I remember my school allowance, like for new clothes, was like fifty bucks, and I got that for the whole year. And I always remember that moment. My mom would take me to some like, like her Asian friend's store with all this like really <laughs> cheap stuff and or fake stuff, and I'd hate it. And I'd be like, I'm going to Dillard's and buying one Tommy Hilfiger shirt, and I just wear it so the literally the sleeves fell off you know so and then you know so and then if I wanted to do anything like laser tag sleepover like I'd go grab a mower and some gas and I'd go knock on doors until I made enough to go so I never felt like I couldn't do anything and maybe that was just part of the personality part of growing up without anyone ever giving you anything but it's it was kind of it was just expected that if I wanted to do anything I didn't expect my parents to pay for it and I just have to make it happen. But oh, I also that, never felt like I couldn't do anything. So yeah, you know, one of the things that that
0: uh, that I worry about is, um, you know, uh, we've we've we both have done done uh, pretty well, and and worked hard and built our firms, and our kids haven't had the same type of struggle, you know. Um, yeah. And and that's, you know, I don't get asked about that very often, but I, you know, that's one thing I worry about you know in america somewhat and, and we we all see folks that apply to our firms and and uh, our businesses and um, i'm hoping that that there's that's still, hung, that's still the same hunger that's in that mm-hmm. in that next generation what are you seeing out there
1: i yeah you know i've got three daughters um, they're 12 7 and 6 and so i feel the same uh, way because I tell them about, you know, things, you know, we all we all know like struggle is kind of what uh, what accelerates your character and like what kind of person you're going to be is where you kind of find yourself and strength and all that. And they just don't have any. And so, so it's one of those things it's like I've kind of gotten over the fact like I'm not going to architect struggle for them like right. intentionally. You, just so what are you going to gonna do? do? As a what are you going to do? So I think the other thing that, that I've seen that I, that I think I appreciate doing in my past is like, we live in the United States, which I think is just this huge bubble of kind of entitlement and, and wealth. And, you know, we're a first world country for sure. Um, I remember some guy telling me, he just got back from Africa, and he's like, do you realize we water our grass with drinking water? Like, thinking about that comment, like, I'd never even yeah. thought about it, like, that is drinkable water. And there are so many countries that can't right. even find water to drink That's clean. And so I like the idea of I think living abroad and being kind of from immigrant mother and having to go back to Korea and see that, like you see other world, you know, third world countries and other other areas of the world are, are not as lucky as we are. So I try to like take them on trips and stuff like that to let them see other cultures and see how we do have it really good, have some kind of appreciation of, of the life they're in compared to how it could be. I'm um, you know, hoping that adds some perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so tell me, um, how you've tackled this, this COVID-19 uh, thing. It's so um, we're, we're on, I think, day 40 or something like that of uh, lockdown in Illinois. And I don't know what it's like in, down in Arkansas, whether you guys are in lockdown or not. But how was you, uh, you know, for your businesses, uh, how have you guys coped with it?
1: So, logistically, it was pretty easy. Um, we spent the last year, the reason why I got pulled on to this call center and why I liked it was we were about to redo all the technology. And so, we redid the entire call center to be a completely, like, cloud-based VoIP system. So, like, even the call center, we were able to tell them to take a laptop, plug into the computer, and, you know, all the calls worked the same way. And so, and then the law firm, was the same thing. We were all completely cloud-based. So, so logistically, it was really just a go grab internet and stay home. You know, no big deal. Um, we've learned to kind of operate that same way to where we have accountability and we have, you know, our teams that work together and all that. So it really wasn't a change. It's really just kind of the world that's changed. And like you said, we're day 40 now. The conversation we've been having lately is um, we've, we've, we've had this adjustment, the world has changed, but the people that are sitting around waiting for their old job to come back. I was like, you're, you're going to be waiting for a long time and that that world's not, this isn't a temporary thing. This is just the world we live in now. Like, we don't know how long it's going to be. And so we've been telling our people, like, if your job was completely rooted in activities that we are no longer doing, you better find something to do. You know, it's, it's not this, uh, this, we don't have the hall pass anymore of this temporary like thing. You know, that's, we got to learn to live in the world and how it is now.
0: So So that's kind of
1: been a shift lately. Yeah. Right. So, you know, a lot of us, you know, uh,
0: that have law firms that, that we rely on jury trials, for example. I don't know when, uh, for example, in the Daily Center in Cook County, they're going to require 12 people to go into a small room and deliberate. Yeah. I don't know when and that's going to I think it's happen. illegal right now. <laughs> it's totally illegal now. But yeah. I'm saying when is that? and, and so I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, what is your – I mean, you seem to have a be a guy that can kind of, you know, see – things that are happening fairly well. What do you, what's your, what's your viewpoint on that? What's, what do you think is going to happen with these, these institutions like jury trials? And I mean, think about it for criminal cases. Think about the block backlog there. There, there, That's a constitutional right. In fact, yesterday or the day before US Supreme Court said, you got to have 12 unanimous, even in Oregon and Louisiana, for goodness sake, Mm -hmm. uh, to convict you. So they're not going to be able to put anybody away. And there's 12 people
1: in there. So what what are you thinking? I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, first Zoom jury trial, you know. Interesting, <laughs> I never thought Zoom about trial. that. Um, because, like, what I appreciate so we have uh, enough court you know interactions to where we're still staying up to date. But what I like is that without this forced behavioral change, our courts are so behind. But but it's been amazing to me that you know even like depositions by jury and then, you know. uh, Yeah. Uh, Like judge meetings with judges and stuff like that. They're having now more over video, Um, but they're, especially in federal court, they're really, really pushing to move dockets regardless. Um, I mean, not jury trials, obviously, but, but a lot of the dockets are still moving forward in like the MDL world and the federal court world. And so I have liked this because it's forced everyone to figure it out. And if, if, if you imagine, if you can imagine that we could start doing zoom jury trials, how much more efficient that would be for both people and courts and, um i think it'd be really interesting so so yeah i, I know that they're, they're getting behind i know they're gonna figure stuff out but uh i guess my glass half full version of this is that without this they probably would have never never did it
0: well <laughs> i tell you i wonder i wonder what kind of company you'd have to have to be able to develop the security and familiarity to put together a zoom jury trial
1: and be able to to govern it somehow but
0: I can see that happening too.
1: Yeah, I mean, even maybe if it's not from the comfort of your home, like it could still be twelve rooms. You know, twelve rooms, and one computer each jury, so you can go through the same security measures as you could a jury, um, just still communication via, you know, through monitors or whatnot. Um, I mean. <laughs> I, I start spitballing new company ideas whenever I hear things like this. I could probably you know, I, on totally,
0: I yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I I, I um I struggle with it because I, I, I do think that there's gonna be a, a huge hesitancy for people to come to a jury. Um, you know, they're gonna be scared. And I agree with you. I think this is maybe a blip um to a certain extent, but I think the handshake deal is over. I don't think we're gonna be shaking hands anymore. I don't think there's gonna I mean, I think th- this distancing is going to be, so it's going to be really put a a premium on the ability ability to communicate like this. Um, No, I agree. I I was
1: telling everyone, I was like, I think the biggest significant long-term change is going to be the way we behave when it comes to like work relationships. So our interaction and communication at work, like everyone thinks, oh, I got to go fly out and do a deposition because I got to look them in the face. You know, that's not true. And people are doing them now with video and they're like, yeah, it's just fine. You know, we can, I can depose an expert or a doctor or whatever. And I can, I can get across what I wanted to by video. Like it's not that important to be able to smell them or whatever you need to do, when, you know, when you fly out there. And so like that appreciation and that human behavior, when it comes to like how much we move around and whether it's not it's necessary, like it's been proven that it's not now. Like everyone in the world has to be equipped to work from home and do a Zoom meeting or do something like this or else you're not a business. So that's now a precursor. To operating in the world, right.
0: So, um, I wanted to just touch a few few things on on some inspirational things for you. So, um, who are some some folks in your life that have really made a difference in your life,
1: uh, inspiration wise? Like growing up, people I knew, or people yeah. I like, read about. Whoever. Um, growing up, I had you know just. I think it was just a few like either teachers or whatnot that kind of saw that I hated the system and had a lot of potential, I think. And, you know, so they would actually, so teachers either hated me or they loved me, you know, one of those things where they either, you know, I had, I had teachers sit my desk out in the hallway during school like for the whole year. Um, and then I also had, uh, I had teachers that would let me just do whatever I wanted because they knew if I did, if they let me do that, that I would actually work harder. And so I think those teachers were, I really appreciated. And then I think aspirationally, you know, reading about just great startup guys, you know, uh, like Elon and Jobs and uh, Larry Page and Zuckerberg, you know, I kind of grew up in that, that era of all those things coming to life. And so, you know, I, I think I was very fortunate in the fact that I grew up with no, like I didn't have a cell phone until maybe first or second year of college. And most I could do was check the weather on it. So I grew up with no technology. And then now we have the world in our hands. And so I remember the world beforehand and started figuring out how it worked from an engineering standpoint. And so I was able to follow that growth path. Whereas even people now that are new or younger millennials, I'm like the oldest of the millennials, I think. Um, but they have gotten into technology where they, I, I was trying to convince or talk to my 12 year old about how Wi-Fi worked compared to cellular. And it's, it's like conceptually like almost impossible for them to understand like Wi-Fi going through cables in the ground. And cellular going through towers into outer space. You know, it's like how it actually works. It's like they're too far. Um, I was watching something the other day. It was interesting thinking about, you know, cavemen, they lived in caves for like 5,000 years. You know, like that's how much they progressed. They were drawing buffalo on cave walls for 5,000 years. Mm -hmm. And then you think about us in the last 100 years, how much the universe has changed and what we understand. Even the last 10 years, you know, the iPhone only existed 11 years ago. So... um, So yeah, just the acceleration of technology right now is at an incredible rate. Uh, So it's been interesting for me. I think that's yeah,
0: yeah. And and so where where do you see um, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself uh, uh, still hanging out in Little Rock in five years?
1: Uh, I like Little Rock. You know, I'll I'll definitely always have a house here. Uh, I've got family here, my family, my wife's family. Um, The world's just smaller than it used to be to me. You know, I travel a ton. Little Rock Airport's not great, but uh, where where I live doesn't really matter as much. I probably travel half the year anyways.
0: What's, what's the most fun type of stuff you're doing marketing-wise nowadays, Anthony?
1: So what I've been doing lately, it's been kind of interesting. So we finally got to the point where, I'll, I'll call it like an R&D budget. So mm-hmm. we had our core model. We had this necessity of getting clients and all that. But now we've gotten to where we spend so much that there, we have – probably resources like a team and a budget where we can just do whatever we want. And so we've been learning a ton about, um, and through the group too, I mean, a turn, ton turn about brand marketing, uh, top of funnel marketing, virality. I think some of those concepts are new concepts. We now have enough data in the world where we can actually see virality happening and kind of see like what is causing it and some of the algorithms that make it happen on the different platforms. And so we've been really digging into trying to figure out how to test and track those type of metrics.
0: It's a nice. little harder
1: to, to follow and grasp than, you know, how many dollars for how many clicks. And
0: and are you hiring people that are smarter than you?
1: <laughs> uh, I try my best to find people smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, listen, <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. No, we're especially on the data side, data engineering, analytics, that kind of stuff. You know, we're um, and we're starting to hire people from not just Little Rock. I think it's the other thing that's really opening yeah. the doors is, you know, with this new world, you can start hiring uh, distributed teams. And it, we, now with the way we've operate with, it, it really hit, once we hit about 30 people, like in our core operations, like legal and marketing operations, like that was about the size where you can start getting middle management. Uh, normally you would call the middle management, but you start getting these, um, I mean, like a team of teams. So rather than being one team of eight or 10 or 15, you start having these pocket teams of seven to eight. And so we started architecting, reorganized the whole company to be like that so that we can grow at scale. And then you get this lateral accountability rather than everything coming from top down. And so that's been hugely uh, disruptive and good for, for our growth.
0: Yeah, and then, so, and uh, how'd you come up with yourattorney.com?
1: So I had a lot of partners when I first started, <laughs> you know, in true uh, entrepreneurial fail, fail fast fashion. Um, and so, of course, we had the last name thing, you know, all the last names kept changing, all the domains kept changing. I hated it. And so, finally, when I could afford it, I had looked and I, I looked for, uh, of course, I looked like attorney.com, lawyer.com. And those were like millions of dollars are taken. Um, and so, this was like the best generic one that I thought was a consumer facing, you know, generalization and would work for every firm. And so, we also have attorneygroup.com is our marketing company, and then yep. yourattorney.com is our law firm. And so, just, it was one that we can always keep and be brandable. You throw on a billboard, you know, and they see yourattorney.com, they'll remember that. They don't remember Lieberwitz and Barkowski or whatever, you know. No, I so get I it. With that.
0: I get it. Well, good. Well, listen, hey, I, I really appreciate you taking time to sit down with me and go through this stuff. Fascinating stuff. Uh, only 10 years into your law career, and uh, just it looks like you're having fun. You're thinking about today period. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, that's, that's great. And, you know, you're making a difference in a lot of people's lives, you know, all the people that work with you. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it is. The more people you get, the more you have to grow from a people perspective and you start realizing it is a it's a human game. Uh, and that's the, that's the real equation you got to figure out. So starting to appreciate the people we work with and the culture and, yeah, kind of appreciate the ride and the journey. I think that's the, 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 Hardest lesson was to learn growing up is not the rat race, it's the uh, it's the ride.
0: Well, great. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. It's the first time that I've heard from somebody yet that we're gonna maybe have Zoom juries. So keep <laughs> keep watching the news, guys. It could it could happen. And then the guy that's probably gonna be running that company is gonna be Anthony
1: Johnson. So yeah, me and Joseph I'm are starting th- uh, your your new Zoom Jury dot com. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. Listen, I'll talk to you soon thank you for listening to the opening statement with joe shannon you can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501 have a terrific day